Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. All of the ground is sinking God, as we approach this very familiar verse, We pray that through the hearing and preaching of your word, that like Brother Paul, we too would be unashamed of the gospel. And God, we pray that at the end of our time in Romans, and God, at the conclusion of our time spent together in whatever small group, whatever big group, whatever gathering, that for those who encounter the collection of believers at the Avenue Community Church, that the result thereof would be that we would both be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of our mighty and matchless King and all God's people say, amen, amen. It's good to be with y'all and I'm excited today. I I was actually, ready to preach when I got off the pulpit last week. I was like, shoot, when can we get back up, right? You know, it's just one of those dates he kind of has circled um, because it is a, 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 a very familiar passage. I'm sure one that all of us are accustomed to hearing. It's kind of like the John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only. Oh, y'all ain't real Christians. Y'all ain't go to VBS. Mm. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. Um, and so here we are in Romans 1.16 with this very, 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 very familiar passage that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is God's power that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Um, so a couple bits of business really quickly. Um, First of all, can uh, Lily, will you bring Daddy his iPad somewhere over there? Thank you, you're so sweet. Um, if um, you see those tables lined up over there, that, um, that just signifies that uh, Collegiate had their homecoming party, right? Yeah, it was their homecoming party. And um, our sweet baby was the homecoming princess, Taylor Holmes, hey, shout out. She, she not her today. We'll, we'll give her the day off, but, you know, give her a hard time. Tell her, you a homecoming queen and you couldn't come to church? Congratulations, but we mad at you. You know, give her one of those, uh, one of those things. And, uh, you know, listen, um, there are, there are, we know what reigns supreme um, in this house. And, um, but when we get an opportunity to, love on one another and and just talk about uh, the cool things that God is and has been doing and we just we just want to give a a chance to do that and so uh, I just want to let y'all know that one of our covenant members also was inducted into a hall of fame this weekend and so I just want you know it's just appropriate Sharweezy would you stand up we just want to say hey you know excuse me hey the roads Is that the Rhodes Hall of Fame? 
Yes, yeah, man. Hey, we love you, man. Such, such a blessing. You know, it's not all the time that, you know, some of y'all know the feeling, right? You work hard. You don't always get recognized for your hard work and the things that you do. And so, um, you know, praise God that we get a chance to do that here on this earth. But even if we never hear our names called here on this earth, one day we're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. That make anybody happy out there today? It better. Um, so, we are in Romans 1, and we are in probably the most important. This is the thesis. Let's just get it right straight. This is the thesis, right? Romans 1.16 is the thesis. It's really uh, the locus for the whole book. This is, this is, this is, it is important. Um, and so, uh, you know, we will not exhaust this thing um, because... What, what, what Romans 1.16 is going to do in a really concise version, it's just going to tell you what else is coming, okay? So there's no need like, man, if we don't wring the rag dry, because there's no way that we could wring the rag dry on the power of God to salvation, the scope of the gospel, and justification. We can't do that any, any justice in, in the next few minutes that I'll spend with you. But we do get a little forecast of what we're going to do. Everything that we're going to do for the next 16 chapters is going to be some kind of spawn and spinoff of these ideas that we see collected in this one verse. Um, my, my, you know, it's been a hard week at, at the Johnson household as far as my effort is concerned. I like to put that thing in autopilot and kind of cruise. Um, it just it wasn't happening this here week here. Uh, last, yeah, last night, I spent five hours with my wife taking out braids. That was an experience. That was a different kind of experience, one that I hope not to experience in the near future. Good God Almighty, right? Uh, last week, uh, you know, I think Luke had multiple projects, which once again, I just like to iron the clothes, tell them to get up, be the enforcer. That's my role, you know what I mean? But I was really engaged this week. Oh, I'm still recovering. So Luke had a couple projects. That's... <laughs> Praise God in other news. So Lukey had a couple projects, Noah had a project, um, and I remember, you know, sometimes you see them kids doing the projects, like, oh, I remember I did that. So he had the cell project. Some of y'all remember the cell project from high school, right? Somebody who writes curriculum somewhere in the state of Tennessee and all across the domestic United States says, hey, since all life forms are made out of cells, it's probably good for you know, somewhere in the adolescence for our kids to understand how a basic cell is set up, right? It's just good, right? So we don't just say cell, but you know, they get creative. And so his project had to be edible. So he made a cake and they had gummy bears and this was the cytoplasm and this was that and the, you know, all the different kind of things going on. Uh, and so it was a way for them to be engaged at just at a basic level, kind of dissecting it. What are the key components that make this thing a cell? Now, when we start talking about the gospel, that is like one of those three words in Christianity. If you say it, it you know, if your Sunday school teacher asks a question, you got a pretty much an 85% chance of getting it right if you just say gospel. It's the gospel. You know, Jesus, it's for his glory, you know? You're going to get you some Chick-fil-A gift cards for something. You get them three answers. Just put them on repeat. Something good will happen. 
But sometimes I find that we don't actually truly kind of grasp the components of the gospel. And so one of the things I told you last week, if when in doubt, if you're confused about what the gospel is and what isn't, what do you say? Jesus. That dude was David's son, and he's also the son of God according to the Spirit. Bang. You pretty much got it covered. But we got to unpack some of that stuff. You got to uncover that at a 50,000-foot level, but we got to start breaking some of those things apart. And that's what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at the basic structure of the gospel because it's the outline that the rest of the book is going to kind of follow. It's going to always be circling back to these different ideas and themes. So we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the means of the gospel. We're going to look at the scope of the gospel. We're going to look at the grounds for the gospel and the access point. We look at the means of the gospel, the scope of the gospel, the grounds, and the access point. We left off last week with our guy Paul, who used to be Saul of Tarsus, who was riding on his little thing, Damascus Road, boom, the glory of the Lord shone him, hit him. He, he realized that he had made a mistake in persecuting the church of the living God who spoke to him, and all of a sudden uh, turned from his ways, repented, and started now to be a mobilizer, an emissary for God's church, right? Now, the, 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 the best way that I can could say this, I was laughing because I was talking with one of y'all. I was like, you don't, I, I think we really do have to spend some time sitting with and understanding Paul's conversion. The best way I could explain it is, uh, what's the guy who, bless his heart, he's been freezing up, he's a politician, he just, yeah, my, what's my boy's name? Mitch McConnell, Brother Mitch. Can y'all imagine Brother Mitch resigning from the Republican Party and coming to work for the Democrats? You couldn't even fathom it, could you? Could you imagine Nick Saban going to work for the Auburn Tigers? You probably couldn't. Unthinkable, could you, right? Could you imagine Michael Jordan retiring and putting on a Washington Wizards jersey? Oh, that happened. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Some things actually do happen. Right? But the best way I can explain it is literally Paul was terrorizing the church of Christ, and now he goes on to be its major proponent. Don't understate that. That's what the power of the gospel does. That's why it really confuses me when I see people with a very ho-hum Christianity, because it's like, oh, that doesn't seem to be on par with the impact that the gospel usually revolutionary kind of brings. It's a major reordering. Paul has received it, and now he is arguably the lead champion for the gospel. And what he's done as he's gone and with Barnabas and the rest of his colleagues and they've established new communities of faith where people live out their faith with people who share those convictions with them, um, he starts to unpack with us that he's been trying to get to this little church in Rome. He's heard about it. He's been trying to get there, um, but he's been delayed. He's been praying. He gives thanks for these, these Roman Christians because he's heard about their faith all over the world, but he's been delayed in getting there. But he's like in verses 13, he's like, man, I want to get there. I've been delayed in getting there um, because I want to impart some kind of gift to you, right? This is, this is me saying, hey, man, hey, Paul had some spiritual gifts that he he knows if he could just be in the presence of other believers, his presence with his gifting could be a blessing to them. But he also, everybody say also, 
He wants to get there to keep preaching the gospel to the Romans. And so this is where we kind of pick up in verse 14. That Paul says, I'm obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. He said, I want to get there to see you in verse 13. I want to preach the gospel. And just so you know that the gospel that I'm, I'm preaching to you, I'm obligated to preach it not just to a certain particular group, but I got to preach it to the Greeks, non-Greeks, the wise, and the foolish. We'll talk more about that later. He says, verse 15, this is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And then he begins to go into those famous words, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's first look at the gospel and make sure we've got it right. We talked about it last week that, hey, the gospel can best be surmised it's just saying Jesus, right? Um, but I, essentially, that King David's long-awaited descendant is the Son of God, Redeemer, and the King of the world. I want you to write it down. I want you to wrestle with it. If you don't like my definition of gospel, I want you to email me and tell me why. Tell me if I left something out. Tell me if mine was too narrow. I want, you to, I want you to sit with this one because this is not the one I hear often. Let me just tell you, as we unpack this cell today, as we unpack the gospel, what I, I, I have seen most people guilty of is saying that the gospel is the means that leads to salvation not the actual whole gospel. What you need to understand about that word, euangelion, that has been passed down through Hebrew, Aramaic, and now into Greek, it means something very particular, and it is more likely that this word is politically charged and loaded. When we hear the gospel, you need to be thinking there's been a regime change. Oh, somebody new is in control. You can go back and you can listen to um, ancient philosophers, historians, Josephus, and there are other emperors with other gospels. When they come in, they announce a gospel. They send a herald. Somebody go before me. Tell them there's a new world order. When I establish my kingdom, there's going to be this kind of peace. There's going to be universal economic um, success. There's going to be shalom for everybody because I'm in charge. When Jesus is saying the kingdom is at hand, he's saying there's been a regime change forever. I'm in charge. And what I'm doing is I'm willingly offering everybody the opportunity to change their citizenship if they want to, and they can come live under my kingdom. That's what the gospel is. That's why it's good news. Hey, there's a new dude in charge. That's good news. Amen. Is it good news, somebody? That's the gospel, that there's been a regime change, that King David's long-awaited son is the redeemer. He's the son of God, and he's the king of the world. Now, let's get to what we are more familiar with, what rolls off our tongue. The first, uh, I think the first definition of the gospel, when I really was like, oh, the gospel's super-duper important, I would just be like, hey, man, what's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ places peace between you and God. And amen. That's a good one. That's a good one, right? Um, Because you're certainly capturing an essence of it. But let's talk about the means of, of the gospel, all right? The means is, it's the means of salvation for those who believe. That's what the gospel is, right? So in the essence, 
God says, this is my power that I'm going to use to bring everyone to salvation who believes. So the gospel is the means of salvation for those. It's the good news, but it's for those of us who believe it, it's the way we get into the kingdom. Because this is true, because there's been a regime change, this is how we get into it, right? This is how we become a part of the kingdom. It's God's power. The gospel essentially is how God works out his saving purposes in all of redemptive history. The use of the word power in this context is not an accident. The Greco-Roman world was obsessed with power and status, right? And the way that they understood it was pretty much the same way that we understood it, right? That the most important things in your society is having power based on relationship, based on who you were affiliated with, based on who had the most money, based on who was the wisest, right? But so now for Paul to be spitting out into this very much, uh, this society very much absorbed with power and who has it, and for them to say that you can have power in this society and it doesn't come with who, who's, who's, who's dad, who, whose granddad I'm related to, or how much money I have, or who was my uh, tutor, or who was my educator, they're like, huh? There's power outside of our Greco-Roman structure? Hmm. Hmm. What you talking about, Paul? Yes. There is power outside of what you Roman people know. And that power is what will enable those who have faith to come into God's kingdom. So we have the gospel. We have the gospel as the means of salvation for those who believe it. And now we have the scope of the gospel. Everybody say scope. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, the means, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Everybody say everyone. What the scope is asking and answering is, Who can benefit from the regime change? Who qualifies to benefit from the gospel? It's a very simple answer, everyone. And it's always been everyone. It's everyone and it's always been everyone. It ain't new. Sometimes we get in to our time, space, and history and our divided society, and we think certain concepts are new. Even when we were just playing around, I said, what's John 3.16? For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That some people, like first century people, Palestinians, whosoever, it's always been whosoever. There has literally only been one time in my adult life that I felt like I was mad enough to start fighting like I was in high school. We was in the barbershop, and uh, man, I knew it was, it was about to go down. The Hebrew Israelite brother, he pulled out his literature. And so he just going from chair to chair, you know, just you know, proselytizing folks while they trying to get the fresh fade. And he telling them this and telling them that. And then he, he just, I knew, I was like, I don't really want to do it today. Not today. Man, come, brother, come right by my table and say, yeah, bro, so you know that the white folks, they the devil and the dragon and sudden, such, such. And I was like, oh. I said, no, man. I said, that's not actually in the Bible. As a matter of fact, even if you were to run with that that, that, that proposition, then you're going to have a problem because 
in every page in the New Testament, there's always going to be the word all, whoever, everyone, and you've got to deal with that. So if you're going to make a specific gospel for a specific group of people, then you have to rewrite the book, then you've got to deal with all the alls and the everyones. It's always been there, y'all. And it's something that we assume, like, of course. But y'all, do not read the Roman passage of Scripture with arrogance, like we aren't suffering with the same thing that is working against the everyones of the gospel. We, because of our nasty heart, we are actively working against the scope of the gospel. That's what I'm telling you. We are desperately trying to make that thing fit for one specific group of people, whoever our people are. Not them, us, Lord. When he's writing this, he already said, verse 14, that <laughs> he signaled, oh, I, Lord, help me to calm myself down so I can make it plain. There's not going to be many places in the New Testament where you hear the gospel explicitly preached and you don't hear the scope of it right behind it. So you tell me if the scope's not important. There's not going to be many places in Scripture where you are not going to hear about the precious promises that happened because of the regime change and immediately not hear who it's for. Everyone. Because it's so pivotal, y'all. The Romans, right? Listen, listen. When you, when you hear the word Greek, this is not really referring to necessarily the ethnos, the ethnicity. It's, it's talking about Gre those who have been culturally educated and brought up in the Greco-Roman culture, right? Those who are involved in the Roman social ladder. This is kind of what Paul is trying to get across. When we think about Jews and it being for Jews, we know that's for the historically chosen group of people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So we've got that. The Jews are included. Even the people who are part of the Greco-Roman social ladder, they're included. And then the Gentile world, right? Everybody who was not Jewish. I'm going to slow down. You know, some of y'all might not never ever heard the word Gentile before. It don't mean Pastor Tim is gentle. Gentile. Everybody who was not Jewish, right? Ethnically Jewish. But in verses 14 and throughout, and sometimes Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives within me, right? Um, and it's he's for neither male nor female, nor Jew nor slave or Greek barbarian. You might even hear the word barbarian. Barbarians were foreigners, uneducated. And if you were a part of Aristotelian philosophy, then you would understand even the barbarian group, you would believe that these people were naturally inferior to you. That's what you believed. You just, you, come on, y'all, listen at me. You would just have to put yourself back in 1619, being a white person on these shores and just believing when you saw black skin. Oh, they're naturally different. They're other than me. They're below me, right? This is the same thing Paul is preaching this new regime change to. Those people are not naturally beneath you. He is flipping the whole social order over on his head. Not because this was theoretical, because it was actually happening. Oh, you're my slave just because you're beneath me because your granddaddy. You don't know as much as me. 
So I deserve more than you. This is the world that the gospel is entering into. And you tell me if that same gospel isn't relevant for us today. The same gospel still preaches, amen, lights and walls. So it's the scope, it's everyone. Now, let's talk about the grounds of the gospel. Paul's now going to explain wh- why, how is God able through the gospel to save everyone who believes? So we, talked, we gave you a gospel definition, right? King David's descendant, right? He's the son of God. He's the redeemer, right? He's the king of the whole world, the whole cosmos, right? Then we gave you the means, right, that God, the gospel is the power of God to save everyone, we talked about the scope. The scope is everyone. Now this, when we start talking about the grounds, we're basically asking and answering this question. On what basis can God save everyone? How? It says um, <laughs> that for in the gospel, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed. Where Becky at when we need a couple highlighters? Pass that thing. That thing is, this is important, Right? The righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what you need to know, Paul writes 13 epistles. But in this book of Romans, righteousness, you're going to find the highest concentration of righteousness language of all his letters. This is really serious. It's really, really important. Because the reason why the gospel is so cool. It's because of really this concept. It says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed because God is just. Everybody say, God is just. So he's right. He's fair. And, and he's right and he's fair. Bible says God is also holy. He's pure. He's blameless. He's without sin. So you got a God who's just, who always does what's right, you got a God who is literally holy. Now, how is it that he can get some stinking, nasty sinners to be in right standing? That's the whole predicament of the gospel. It's like there's been a regime change, and that's great news. But how many of y'all know there's been some apartments you, uh, you'd apply for, but you didn't qualify? I can't hear nobody out there. How many of y'all can go back to your college applications and know there's been some applications that have been sent out, but there ain't been no responses? Amen, somebody. Because there's a standard. Woo! In the righteousness of God, as it's revealed, the big predicament is how can we help these people qualify? Because if we lower the standard, I'm not just. There's a problem. It's a problem, yo. How do we deal with that? My holiness, their unfitness, my justice. And the Bible Project just sums it up. I'm just teasing you a little bit. The good news is it's going to get resolved. It's going to get resolved through Jesus. But when you think about the righteousness of God being revealed... You need to think about these things that will come flooding through, that we're going to see God's justice, his holiness, and his faithfulness to his promises. That's what's going to unfold as we watch the big drama of salvation history. 
It's his justice, his faithfulness to his promise, and his holiness. All those things are going to unfold and be unpacked in this really amazing way. What you also need to know is Paul uses, he quotes Habakkuk 2 and 4. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Listen, there are um, some seminarians in here. No, we, we had hours devoted to this quote, what it meant, how it meant. There's a bun of, bunch of fun uh, reading that you can do, extra. Um, Paul, as he cites scripture, y'all do realize that, right? Most of the scripture, by the time we get to the New Testament, a lot of the scripture that is being written is just quoting old scripture. They're just taking from the old, regurg and working it out, right? Um, and so Paul uses Habakkuk 2 and 4, with the basic idea, though, that, you know, as we approach Scripture and as we attempt to, attempt to interpret it rightly, even the smartest theologians will just tell you this. I want you to write it down, type it, whatever, put it in your phone. Let what is clear in Scripture inform what is obscure. As you try to work through and properly interpret Scripture, you have to let what is clear in Scripture interpret and inform what seems to be a little obscure. There's a lot of debate on how Paul is using Habakkuk 2 and 4. One thing everybody knows, <laughs> there ain't no righteousness going to be passed on to the people who don't deserve it unless they got faith. Period. Point blank. All right? And so there just leads us into our last point, which is the access point. We've talked about, we're giving you a gospel definition. We let you know that the gospel is the means by which unbelievers can be a part of God's kingdom. We talked about the scope, talked about the grounds, that somehow the righteousness of God is the grounds by which he justifies people who are undeserving. And we're going to see that unfold. And now we talk about the access point. How is it that we get to be a part of this kingdom? Everybody just say faith. And it's always been that way. When Jesus shows up on the scene, Mark 1.15, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, repent and believe. It's faith, right? Um, I love this, Acts 20, 20 and 21. Paul says to the group before he, he leads them. He says, I didn't shrink back from declaring anything that was helpful to you as I taught you publicly from house to house. I wasn't, I wasn't hiding. I taught you this openly from house to house, testifying. Listen, let me hear what you let me, let me, I want to know what your ears are hearing. He says, I'm testifying to the Jews and the Greeks alike. What y'all hearing? Everyone. The scope, baby, it's everyone, Bobby testifying to the Jews and the Greeks alike about repentance to God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the access point, and it's always been, always been. Faith is connected to righteousness. That's what you really need to know about verses 17. Faith and righteousness are forever linked. One commentator just says this, that faith in God's provision of Christ's atoning death as the means for dealing with human sin brings righteousness to the believer 
And this righteousness allows the believer to live. We need the righteousness of God to gain access to citizenship in the new kingdom he's created. But the only way that we can get there is not by dressing ourselves up. It's not by going and reading a thousand more scriptures. It's not by fasting until we fall out. It's by taking our faith attaching it to the righteousness of God that has already been displayed for us on the cross that gives us access into his kingdom. Now, let's go back to the beginning. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm looking at all this stuff that we could be justified and for everyone and all this. It seems like really happy, honky-dory good news. Why would anyone ever be ashamed? Let me give you four things. Reasons why I think Paul was saying that he was not ashamed because he knew that some people would be ashamed. Paul wasn't wasting his words. He wasn't saying, I'm not ashamed because he was singing what everybody else would be singing. He was preemptively saying, I know probably if y'all start saying what I'm telling you, you're going to have a great temptation to be ashamed of what you have to share. And I think the, the problem still prevails. You want to know why we are a little, we more eager to assemble and a little less eager to evangelize? Because I still think there's a lot of ways we can still be ashamed of this good news. Because it's not what our society rocks with, bro. It ain't. It's just as offensive as it was in Greco-Roman culture as it is now. First reason. I think inclusivity. We have lived long enough, we know our world has always been divided, but now we've lived long enough where people celebrate the divides, proud of the tribalism, will ostracize you from the group if they see you posting on somebody else's Facebook page. I wish it was something to joke about. Some of y'all still hadn't talked to people from 2020 because they found out who you were voting for. Don't tell me this gospel ain't going to preach right now. You start talking about a gospel that would be welcoming to everyone, you're going to be out the club. It's still rock. How many mixed-class houses do you see in Memphis, Tennessee? Because <laughs> the reality is we love this stuff. We want it to be true, but we just want it to be true for the specific group of people that we want it to be true for. Me and mine, we good in those. And it's, it's just a part of the broken world that we live in. Somebody just hit up a string of houses in, in Gina and I's neighborhood. And I know there's this tension. It's like, oh, you want to identify who are those people who are disturbing the peace in my spot. And immediately, the great temptation is if you can find those people, that's another group you can exclude. The inclusivity is still contrary to who we are in this society. I think 
Number two, sounding the alarm is not cool. I was watching an, uh, a movie on Apple TV, and uh, shout out Apple TV, deposit the check. <laughs> Product placement, you know what I'm saying. I was watching this movie, and they were, the, the plane got hijacked, and they were trying to tell the people on the ground the plane is hijacked. And everybody's like, hey, man, you need to do something. And, and, and it's just so funny because I do believe, like, human nature is like, when somebody comes and starts shaking you like, hey, 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 you're like, you got to bet it first. Your senses are like, girl, mm. And you're like, girl, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, mm. The other day, gosh, please. I, I don't want to spook you. I don't care. Whatever. I was getting coffee. I saw somebody run up in ski masks to the door I was getting ready to get next to. And I was like, oh, 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 oh. So I ran back in the coffee spot and I said, hey, somebody's trying to jack cars out there. Call 911. The barista was just like, uh. I said, I said, hey, somebody's trying to call 911, do something. I don't, I think people prefer living in the bliss of ignorance. And that causes us to experience great shame in trying to sound the alarm. Like, yo, the gospel brings salvation which implies somebody's in danger, yo. Somebody is in a very vulnerable position. And guess what? I know all you care about right now is your children and your money and your physical health, your mental health, but there's something that maybe even supersedes all of that, right? And don't get it twisted. We're not saying that family and health and physical, we're not saying that doesn't matter, but there's something even more important than that. And that's not fun to say, y'all. That's not fun to say. It's not fun to talk to a family who has their whole life wrapped around in AAU sports and money and time and say, hey, I think there's something that may be a little. Are you trying to say that we're not good parents? Try it. <laughs> snap at you, boy. You better be careful. You better be careful. You feel me, though, don't you? You try to be the one to sound the alarm and see what kind of pushback you get. It causes great shame, man. What about the narrowness of the gospel? The fact that there, I'm, oh, you know, hey, you know, oh, that's cool. I can do it. Can I do it this way? Oh, no, you can't do it that way. Can I get into the kingdom this way? Oh, no, I'm sorry. How about, how about Buddha? How about Confucius? Uh, you know, my son came home. He said, Dad. You know, I talked to Johnny, and he said, we got the same God. And it's like, oh, no, son, we actually don't, right? The narrowness, it causes, it causes some tension, doesn't it? We're not universalists. This is only good news to those who will believe it by faith and only believe in Jesus' kingdom. And that's not very fun to tell everybody at the supermarket, is it? about the absolute nature. <laughs> this is a Charles Barkley guarantee. <laughs> this 
society we live in, we love relativism, right? Your truth, your truth, that don't make fortune your truth on me. No, I've got the guarantee. I'm actually not suggesting this as a possibility for you to try. I'm telling you, this is the only way, and this is the right way. Now, who's ashamed to preach the gospel? I wrote a note to myself as I was just kind of preaching. Sometimes I write my notes and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to say it. I'm gonna, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Where am I going to use them? Not. It's just times, man. I heard something yesterday. I'm still working through my stuff. And uh, somebody told me yesterday, he's like, oh, man, you know, I want you to know that such and such is so proud of you. And uh, I was on my way home, kind of just got me, just hit me. You know when you're not emotionally ready for something that you would do, I wasn't thinking about that, just, just jogged me. And sometimes I envy y'all and I watch you all. Sometimes y'all have some really, you're just really amazing uh, parents and you're very gentle with your, your, your kiddos, and I envy that. We didn't do gentle parenting, per se, at my squad. That's not, not what that was, okay? I just, you know, just. And I'm silly, and it's a whole complicated mess. I love my folks. Uh, and there are times, like, I, I do, I envy. It's like, oh, man, I don't. I don't recall that touch. I don't recall that embrace. I'm 40, and I was like, dang, man. I wonder. I wonder what it would be like if I had that memory to call back on. But I will give my parents this, and I will be forever grateful for them. They never played games with me about the predicament that I was in. really in a backwards kind of way, I think it's because they love me that they didn't want me to miss out on the greatest gift that anyone could ever have found. And you know what? It's some good old fire and brimstone preaching will help me gain access to the regime change, and I'll take a lifetime worth of counseling to gain eternity. I'll take that trade any day, because I'd rather suffer on this side and gain utopia in the next than try to create my utopia and miss out for eternity. Do we have the urgency that I think the writers are asking for? This is not a game. People live and die. 
and people will live and they will be welcomed into the joy and presence of our King forever or they will spend an eternity separated from life itself. That's what we believe. And as we approach the table today, if you are in the midst of us and for whatever reason you cannot say that with full confidence and assurity, the big idea, the reason why Paul is, is saying it's such good news is because the God who has every reason to exclude people from the joy of his kingdom is willingly made a way that they could be made righteous if they would only believe in him. So don't go out of here lying on Christianity, talking about how nobody don't want you. Because the whole book is about how much he's delaying because he does want you to come in. And I don't care where you are, youth, boy, old girl, wherever you are today, if you're like, bro, I believe it and I want me some of that. You come find me, you can interrupt me in the middle of communion, you can come see me after. We don't care. It's our biggest order of business at this church is why we exist. So men and women would come into God's kingdom. If you in the audience, for whatever reason, I think we all need to probably collectively repent because we got to deal with that word unashamed. I'm just telling you as your pastor, there's some places I'm scared to preach the gospel out of fear for what I know it might cost me. I'm being honest with you. I don't know if I could do it here and I know if I said it there, man, am I willing to pay that price? I just want to apologize to you and to God. 